Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. We've got a very full studio this morning, so you're in for a lot of fun, I think. Um, first up, we have to say good morning to Stephen Ryan. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And at least it is light out there this morning, yeah. <laughs> instead yes. of coming down in the dark, and it's still dark outside when you come into the studio, so... In some senses, I'm quite pleased daylight saving's over. Although, isn't it interesting? You get home from work now and there's no time to do anything. No. It's, it just gets dark so early. So, yeah, it had its usefulnesses. It did. Um, and we had a wee bit of rain last weekend. I don't know how many people got wet, but um, it's taken the pressure off a bit. So the garden's looking fresh. So, And we've had some gorgeous days in the meantime. What more could you possibly want? Well, you've obviously had more rain than we've had. We're yeah. still I as didn't get dry much. as a bone. Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh, well, well, I wouldn't have said we got a lot. I think it was about 16 or 17 mil. But That's a great deal more than I got. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that's because you come from Pleurisy Plains, Lucy. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, uh, dear. Yeah, so yeah, but life could be a lot worse, I reckon. I, that's why we live in this part of the world at this time of the year. It is for these wonderful autumn Days. Absolutely, and Absolutely. of course, there's lots of autumn colour around at the moment. So, Mount Macedon yeah, is, is every weekend now has uh, I don't know. We have hordes of people up there at the moment. It seems to have got around that there's pretty leaves to look at, and there are people lying in the middle of Honor Avenue, photo- <laughs> photographing leaves up that way, paying absolutely no attention to the traffic. Oh yeah, and, and you know, people wandering out into the road, just yeah. sort of so completely and utterly uh, uh, entranced by all this beauty around them, they don't notice that they're in the middle of a road. Uh, uh, swinging car doors open without paying attention. It's quite interesting up there at the moment, actually. Good. Yeah, you just, <laughs> yes, you, you have to be self-preservation sort of oriented yes. uh, up around the area at the moment. Okay. But, um, yeah, it is. It's beautiful up there, so it's, it's well worth the trip. Yep, wonderful. We also have to say, and we haven't seen him for a long time, John Arnott, Manager of Horticulture out at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Good morning, John. Good morning, Pam. Hello, folks. And you've been off and away on adventures, which we're going to talk about later. You have, yeah. We've been, um, first time we've been in Southeast Asia. Wonderful. We were cycling. It was fantastic. Yeah. 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 Trust you to be cycling. You <laughs> must be so fit. Um, bike fit, I think, yeah. 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 Definitely. I couldn't run to save myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully you didn't have any incidents like you did last time I knew you went on a bike trip. No, no. It was all... Good. Um, I wouldn't call it event. It was full of events. Yeah, but, um, but, but all good. not those... <laughs> Yeah, no, good. Ones, yeah. <laughs> okay, we also have Graham Sargent's from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane. Good morning, yes, Graham. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody out there in listening land. And, and you've got a big day today too. Yeah, Goodness da- me, it's today. all happening. Two bus loads yesterday, and um, another two bus loads today, and it's part of the uh, Rotary Art um, uh, uh, Festival in Kilmore, and people are also going to Hidden Valley which is um, uh, they're having morning tea and afternoon tea there and they're learning how to play bocce, okay. which is really good. And um, they reckon that's very um, – and Hidden Valley is a very interesting place, which is just north of Wallen and it was developed by Robert Holmes Accord mm. and he developed the property Mittagong and um, completely changed the whole place and put in 
a large, uh, quite a number of dams, and the place was absolutely riddled with erosion, and that all is gone, which is fantastic. Well, the and, other uh, thing he put in, of course, is pencil pines everywhere. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> it's, true. It's called Little Italy, I think, isn't yeah, it, to yeah. the locals? It must be, or Tuscany, or... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's uh, amazing. You've probably now. just got a job lot somewhere, that's all. You know, the, <laughs> well, these it, multi-millionaires often use job lots, what I've, I've noticed. <laughs> it still added, adds lo- a lot of fantastic um, character to the whole place, and there's been a lot of control over the way they build, and it's mm. given a t- Tuscany um, theme. When you look down <clears> into, into all the development, it's got not a, a hodgepodge of development that we see w- with so much in terms of um, subdivisions, and um, it's given you know, a lot of character. Which is mm. really good. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. All right, and finally we have to say a very good morning to Lucille Strachan from the Growing Friends of Melbourne Botanic Gardens. Good morning, Lucille. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. Well, and, of course, we know what that means as well, don't uh, we? Yes. yes. It's all indeed. happening next weekend it for you. It is indeed, yes. <laughs> it certainly is when we're ready and raring to go. And, of course, what are we referring to? We're referring to the Growing Friends Autumn Plant Sale, which takes place... Uh, 10 till 4 next Saturday and 10 till 3 next Sunday. And uh, inside E-Gate at the Botanic Gardens off Birdwood Avenue in South Yarra. So, yes, we're looking forward to seeing everybody. Uh, the nursery is jam-packed with all sorts of goodies. I bet. Representing all sorts of groups of plants. So, yes, we're looking forward to it and ready to go. And I presume have they've managed to put up the catalogue? Online yes, again? At yes, the I believe it is. Yes, I got a, received an email from the friends, as I regularly do. And yes, there's a link to the catalogue from the website. Good. Excellent. Yeah. So people can peruse it before they Absolutely. head along next Saturday. Yep, and have their shopping list ready. And run. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go straight to uh, some community announcements before we... Uh, we find out about what all these lovely people are up to because there's so much happening. Uh, first up, uh, Virginia and I are going to a happening today out <laughs> in the Yarra Valley um, and that's because today is the second day of some open gardens that are up in the Yarra Valley. Three, in fact. Um, the first one is uh, at 11 Forge Road in Mount Evelyn. Uh, the second one is in uh, 2 Jura Court in Park Orchards. And uh, the third one is at 150 uh, Hereford Road in Lilydale. Now, where Virginia and I are specifically going to one of those three gardens, which is Christie's Bouquet, that's the name of it, which is the one at Mount Evelyn. Now, this is a garden that uh, it's very spacious. It has great diversity. There are mature trees. There's an eclectic mix of bird-attracting natives and beds, brimful of massed perennial uh, plantings and also 80 species of salvia. Uh, Now the garden focuses on sustainable practices. Many of the plants have been grown from cuttings and seeds and the uh, owners are prolific composters and recyclers. Now um, regular listeners will have heard Sue Stevens speaking on the program just recently. Sue of course is the chief propagator at one of the uh, big native um, uh, Um, nurseries there up in that area and so of course she's managed to propagate loads and loads of plants for her own garden and uh, the garden uh, originated 
when her young daughter died of cancer, which is why it's called Christie's Bouquet, named after her um, daughter Christie. So, um, as I say, Virginia and, and I will both be out in the garden all day today, so if any of our listeners like to come up and uh, do come and say hello and uh, have a wander around the garden, I'm sure it's going to be great fun. And as I say, there's two other gardens in the same area that you can visit and make a full day of it. There will be a sausage sizzle at the garden we're at, so um, there'll be food as well as uh, lots of wonderful plants and gardens to look at. All right, um, Also on today, the Geelong group of the Australian Plant Society have got their autumn sale on. This is at uh, Wirrawilla, which is 40 Lovely Banks Road in Lovely Banks. Uh, Wouldn't you just want to live there? Yes, it's a perfect name, isn't it? Sounds like something out of Mary Poppins. Yeah, does it? (laughs) 40 Lovely Banks Road in Lovely Banks. Anyway, Uh it's running from 9am through to 1pm today. They'll have a large variety of native plants with about 10 to 12 specialist nurseries in attendance. That's fantastic. Yes, great. Um, There'll be a barbecue, refreshments, children's activities... Um, adults, $2 entry, goodness me. And if you'd like more information, 52485911. Now, also a couple of other things I should mention. Um, If you don't want to go up into the Yarra Valley today, firstly, Philip Johnson has got one of his memorial gardens in Essendon open today. This is Harry's Garden. and, And the address, if I can locate it... Somewhere, uh, they don't make these easy for me sometimes. Um, I'll come back um, to that. I'll give it'll that be there somewhere. As, yes, well, you can always go onto the Open Gardens <clears throat> website. Here we go, I've got it. 10, Heseldean. Now, that's H-E-S-L-E-D-E-N, Heseldean Street in Essendon. Open from 10am through to 4.30. Um, entry is $8, children under 18, free. Okay, now a couple more I should mention that are coming up over the next week. Firstly, Australian Garden History Society, and I think you're a member of that, aren't you, Lucy? Yes, I am. Yes, they've got an autumn lecture coming up next Thursday, April the 16th. This is at 6 o'clock for a 6.30 lecture at the Mueller Hall at the Herbarium in Birdwood Avenue. And uh, the talk is going to be Botanical Gardens and the Relevance in Our Community. Right up your alley, John. Yeah. Who's the lecturer? Uh, Elizabeth Gilfillan. Oh, fantastic. Do you know Elizabeth? Yeah. Um, okay, she's past president of the Friends of the Ballarat Botanic Gardens. Mm. So um, that should be a really, really interesting uh, lecture. Now, the cost is members $20, non-members $25, students $10, which I, I wish other societies would do that. I'm very proud of Australian Garden History Society to always cater for mm. students. I think mm. that's really excellent. Now, if you want to book for that one, you click on their secure payment link. You go to www.trybooking.com forward slash capitals GSTW. Or you can phone uh, the chair, Lisa Tuck, and her number is 0418-590-891. Uh, now also coming up, uh, and this one is next Saturday, so I'll mention it today. Um, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a creative workshop next Saturday, and it's a succulent experience. Um, now it's all about creating one of those hanging um, wall 
pictures, for want of a better word. Oh, so it's, it's got nothing to do with pork belly or... No, no. no. <laughs> or other succulent <laughs> experiences. Sort of succulent. <laughs> <laughs> succulent plants. <laughs> but all created as, as a picture wall hanging. Um, so this is taking place, as I say, next Saturday at Burnley College, 10am through to 1pm. Cost is 65 for members, $80 for non-members. Bookings, of course, are essential. Uh, to book, the number is 9035-6861 or you can email a.smith at unimelb.edu.au. And, uh, yes, yeah, so that one should be a very interesting one for that one. Uh, now, also, goodness me, there's a lot happening at the moment. Up at Cloud Hill next weekend, um, they've got quite a bit going on. Firstly, um, they've got another uh, letter-cutting workshop with Ian Maher being run. Now, um, Ian Maher cuts into stone, um, so he's running a full workshop uh, for people. And uh, this, uh, the full cost... Um, is $4.50, but it includes all materials, stone and tools. It also includes morning teas and lunches. Um, now, there are only 10 places, so it's a very exclusive. Everyone will get lots of uh, one-on-one time during the workshop. Um, but you do have to get in because there's only 10 places. I know most of them have been booked already. Um, if you'd like to book in for that... You phone 97511009. Now, I should mention uh, this is all taking place up at Cloud Hill. Now, the other thing that is happening um, in Cloud Hill is that as well as the workshop, Ian is also going to be um, finishing off a piece that he's personally working on. And um, the public are invited, even if they're not doing the workshop, they're invited to go up into the gardens and watch him at work um, cutting this it's it's a famous text by the english 17th century poet henry vaughan and uh it's all uh been carved out in uh, a circle so most interesting it's um jeremy says it's the most intricate piece that he's seen uh he's seen ian ma uh do now the other thing that's coming up at cloud hill as well as that uh workshop is that uh they're going to be um, having a lot of art installations throughout the gardens, and this will be running uh, over the next few months, right through until spring. He's entitled it Art in the Winter Garden, and uh, there's going to be three of Ted Seacombe's fountains um, installed, uh, sitting in their pond. There will also be several wood-fired ceramic pieces uh, by both Rob Barron of Gooseneck Pottery and also Graham Foote, of Hawthorne Gallery, and uh, that will all be taking place, as I say, over the next few months up there in Cloud Hill. But if you'd like to be a part of that uh, workshop with Ian Ma, you do have to get in quick. That number again is 97511009. The other workshop which I should quickly mention, this is taking place next uh, Sunday, April the 19th, and I've mentioned this before, is um, a cider-making workshop up at uh, Heritage Fruit Trees, which is in Beaufort. Uh, the actual address is 297 Black Raglan Road in Beaufort. Now, um, it's being uh, conducted by Peter George, who uh, started making cider um, just utilising uh, apples from his backyard apple tree. He specialises in making small batches that you can make on your kitchen bench top. And the other uh, 
person uh, running the workshop is Keith Robertson, who's gone the opposite way, and he's uh, honed his side of making methods to make large quantities. So he utilises um, lots of surplus fruit to make ciders, fruit wines, and liqueurs. Um, now, it's a very intensive program. Uh, you arrive 9.30 for a 10 o'clock start. There'll be uh, theories. Theory, first of all, on the fundamentals of successful cider making. Then there'll be a demonstration making cider on the kitchen bench. There'll be an orchard walk before lunch. Lunch will be apple-inspired cuisine, of course. There'll be cider tasting, a range of commercial and craft ciders. Then there'll be another demonstration of making cider in the shed. And uh, then a Q&A to round off the day. Now, the day also includes written notes. And they will be setting up their... Um, W.O. Hickak uh, Patent Keystone Wine and Cider Mill. That'll be in operation. That was made in the 1850s. So that will be uh, fascinating to watch. Now, as I say, it's, it's running next Sunday, April the 19th. Arrive 9.30 for a 10 o'clock start. It's going to finish approximately 3.30. Um, there'll be tea and coffee on arrival and, as I say, printed notes as well. Now, the fee is $190, which includes GST, um, and because it includes an orchard walk, um, do dress for the weather, depending on what it's like next Sunday. No stilettos then? No, no stilettos. <laughs> and uh, if you want to book, the easiest way is to go to the website, uh, which is lifestylefarming, all one word, .com.au. So lifestylefarming.com.au. I think I might leave any the other notices for a little while because there's so much happening. Here it is, autumn time, which yes. is usually when people start to slow down a bit because the weather's getting colder. But well, I might add, add just in, in passing, of course, people should keep in mind that the <coughs> Tesla Rare Plant Absolutely. Fair is on next weekend <coughs> as well up, yes. at, uh, up at Sylvan, and I will be up there emceeing the speaker marquee and doing a couple of talks and things. So it's always a great weekend, especially if the weather's half reasonable, uh, to go up and see some interesting plants and meet some good growers and, and have a, a lovely weekend away. So that's next weekend up at, um, at Tesla. So... All sorts of stuff going on this autumn. And Graham, you were great lot of there? great lot of stalls there, yeah. Stephen, and a lot of plants people, which is really great, great to mix in with other people that are real plant people. Mm. Yeah, oh, it's, mm. it's a good event. I enjoy going up there every year. So, mm. um, uh, yeah, so there's oodles to do. So if you want to catch up with Graham and Diana and yes, all their roses, you'll be mm. there. Yes. Mm. Wonderful. Yes. Okay. All right. We do have a caller online. We'll go to Elizabeth, who's out in Croydon. Good morning, Elizabeth. Oh, good morning. Uh, I have two 20-year-old ornamental vines over my patio, and they're absolutely glorious at the moment, but they've been very dense this year, and I've got some shade plants underneath it. And for next year, I want it to be less dense, so I have some of those heavy leaders, those thick mm. branches, can I take some of them out? When is the best time to do it? And do I have to paint them so that they don't bleed? All right. It's a simple, straightforward thing. The ornamental vines are... A grape, and grapes are, in fact, very prunable. <laughs> so you can take out almost anything you want, um, uh, keeping in mind, of course, that heavy pruning on something like that will invigorate the vines as well, so next year they will grow like fury. Um, so you may have to do a summer prune as well to keep things in order if they've got too dense. Um, so, yes, prune them as hard as you like, do them in midwinter, and no, you don't have to paint them. Good. Thank you very much. 
Straightforward. Okay. Nice and easy. Thank mm. you. Bye. Yes, the ornamental grapes have been looking fantastic this year. Mm. There's one up outside my nursery that grows around the front of the, the little sort of art gallery that's next door to my nursery. And I don't know how many people of Asian extraction have stood in front of those that grapevine. <laughs> 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 Red leaves. Anybody who, from China and Japan, they seem to get so excited by red leaves. And you, you, you see them up the top of the driveway and they all come turtling down with their, with their cameras and their, their selfie sticks and their, the whole works. And they're all standing in front of this brilliant red grapevine having a wonderful time. What I love about this time, because I've got an ornamental grapevine outside my kitchen door and I've also got my claret ashes in full oh, colour. Yeah. And, and the light changes. The light, oh, the yes. sunlight coming through yeah. the autumn leaves and it suddenly yeah. takes on this red, yellow, it's magic. Yeah. It really is because that infiltrates through all the windows of the house, and it's mm. just oh, they're, they're an amazing time. plant. I, I love the old-fashioned ornamental grape. It's interesting though because mm. it would seem that um, it's common in Australia, but it's not common elsewhere. That particular grapevine, is that right? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to even find a cultivar name for it, really, because everybody just sells it as Vitis vinifera, which of course is just the, the species and genus of of right. the grape yeah. and um, uh, nobody ever seemed to list it with you know they just sort of put vitus vinifera ornamental grape and that was how they were selling it and I thought well this just doesn't make any sense because it's got to have a specific name of its own yep. uh, and I don't even remember now how I found it but I did eventually find the name it's actually called Gaz and Glory oh really um, and so the spelling of that? Uh, I think it's just G-A-Z-A-N or I-N or something. I've got it written down somewhere. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, that apparently is its cultivar name. And it may even be something that uh, arose here because I don't know of anybody who's growing. If you look in Hillier's Trees and Shrubs Manual, they've got Vitus vinifera purpurea and quite a few of the other ornamental mm. grapes, but not that one. It never seems to show up anywhere else. Mm. So I wonder so, if there was a Mr. or Mrs. Gazin or... Yeah, well, quite probably. <laughs> Gazin Glory. It sounds like yeah. it's named after someone, yeah, doesn't so, it? Yeah, so it could well be an Australian cultivar, yeah, yeah, right. uh, which okay. I don't think anybody's really researched or worked out. So, Because okay. uh, I've certainly never seen orna- uh, that sort of ornamental vine anywhere I've travelled overseas. Mm. So it just seems to be commonly grown here. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I must remind listeners that uh, we are opening the talkback lines. If you'd like to phone in this morning, we've got a wonderful um, array of people. Of <laughs> a, a, a serious plethora. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need a collective uh, yeah, yeah. adjective. What is the collective name for? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, well, I'll think about we'll it. I'll come up with some ideas it. by the end of the program. <laughs> Some of which we probably won't be able to say on radio. We we can cover any subject you like to throw at us, I'm sure, this morning. So (laughs) do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or this morning we have Virginia on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Virginia, 94198377. Graham, let's tell listeners about what's happening up in your garden this well today. The whole day. Well, we're, we're having also um, tours of the garden and we're looking at um, water, f- water for gardens and that's some of the work that we've done with just some simple irrigation channels around just a normal garden. Um, we're working with um, um, simple compost making, sheet compost, rather than making it really hard work mm. for the back. Um, and that's very simple with, um, with the use of um, my, um, paramagnetic rock dust within the compost itself mm-hmm. and um, of course encouraging people to use some uh, compost teas 
and um, delicious. Yes, <laughs> and mainly teas made from uh, from comfrey. Okay. Comfrey yeah. that's just put in hessian bags and, and immersed in the bags. And then we're looking at rose pruning and fruit, fruit tree pruning, even at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Keeping fruit trees down to two, two metres and nothing big. No ladders in the garden. They're banned, especially for old blokes like me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some of the things we're, we're talking about. And we're also showing people um, the trees that we planted in since the fires that, are, that if we, we've found to be um, uh, fire retardant. And, um, of course, most of them have got plenty of colour now mm. at the moment. And, yep. of course, most of them were oaks and, and uh, quite a few fruit trees that were survivors. Mm. Mm. Now, if people want to come up and join in all of yes. this, what can time, do that. where? Well, um, the first two of this morning starts at 10.30 mm-hmm. and they can join in with the other people who are there. We've got one small bus load this morning right. and they can even have scones, jam and cream. Wow. Um, uh, put on Dutch style by Diana and all their Dutch relations mm-hmm. and they can make good scones, jam and cream. Okay. And um, also they can they can have a talk with our um, Langshan fowls. We've got about 40 chickens there so they can oh. come and have a look at the, at the fowls and... And we're talking about um, fowls in small gardens. Okay. Okay. All right. Costs? No. No, no costs. costs. No costs. No, it's free. Goodness me. There Have you go. Bit. And that yeah. even includes That Diana's sounds like good stones. value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic value. Yeah. So, so they're certainly welcome um, today. Uh, which is Sunday, and they they can have a tour of the garden tomorrow too if they can't fit in in today. Okay, oh. well mm. there's an offer not to be refused. Yeah. Oh. Now, can you cope if if uh, families come if there are young children? Yes, wonderful. Yeah, we can do They've that. got a cage. I'm sure they'd them. love the yeah. chickens. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of cages. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fantastic. You better give out the address. The address Great. is 550 McDonald's Road, and it's very simple to get to. Go, go straight up the Hume Freeway. You know the Hume Freeway? That's the main road between Melbourne and Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that shouldn't and, be too hard to find. And find the, the famous word Clonbanane on, on the sign. So it's Clonbanane. Once you come up the ramp at Clonbanane, you'll see Silky's Rose Farm signs, and, they, and that's only about 500 metres from those signs. Fantastic. Easy. Okay. Yes, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Okay. All right, that number again, uh, 94190155 to speak to the team this morning on air or to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. Let's get back to the plant sale, Lucy. Yes. Uh, well, what can uh, I tell you? A full uh, range again, as normal, I <laughs> Absolutely, presume. yes. We've got our bulbs, our uh, Aussie natives, uh, various selection of herbs, our climbers and hanging baskets, including some lovely orchids uh, this year. And there's only a few of those, so it's first in best dressed. Uh, shrubs and trees, of course, and the perennials and succulents. So, of, as you say, a full range of uh, plants available. And all looking really good. I wandered around the nursery after we finished boxing up the plants on Friday just to have a look at what was standing out. And uh, now Stephen will be able to back this, but uh, Narini Fothergilla Major just looking stunning at the moment. Incredible thing with its brilliant... Mm. Sort of gold-dusted flowers, yeah, aren't yeah, they? And gorgeous. that really vibrant sort of scarlety colour of the yes, flowers. It, yes. It's really one of the great autumn bulbs. It's it, beautiful. It's just gorgeous. And they're looking good. And the Haymanthus coccineus, also we have some of those available. 
with the Australian natives, there's Oliria adenophora that was looking lovely. Um, Scavola albida flowering beautifully too. Brachyscomi multifida looking gorgeous and flowering. Um, the herbs were all looking ready to be planted out in people's herb and uh, gardens. So uh, what else? Shrubs. Butylons were looking lovely. Mm. Some of those are, are, are flowering at the moment. Great Some bird plants, the butylons. I love them in the garden. Yes, they're yes. wonderful. Great for the uh, honey eaters and things. They just yep. adore well, them. Well, our nursery attracts, needless to say, a lot mm. of birds. Um, uh, and we get the, the the bigger, what are they, the wattle birds coming oh, yes. in mm. after, yes, the bigger flowers as well. They break a lot of the salvias. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wattle birds think that they're light little things, yeah. but yes. they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> they're Someone needs big. to tell yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. yeah. They do a fair bit of smashing around in the garden. Yeah, I, I always make sure there's a nice big New Zealand flax for them to play with because they can't hurt them no. uh, when no. they're in flower. The no. wattle birds yeah. love them and they, yeah, they, well, they think they're fabulous. something more robust for them to play. With. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, but your fuchsias and your and your oh, salvias, yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> no, they do make a mess. Uh, the tibishina was looking absolutely beautiful uh, there, and as on a smaller scale in the shrubs was Ajania pacifica, which is a lovely thing at this time of year. Mm. Uh, with the perennials, well, we've got a, a, a range of salvias. The um, Salvia van Hootii was looking stunning. This attracts a lot of people. It's basically a semi-tropical. Uh, salvia it does better in warmer climes. Yeah, uh, I can uh, kill it really easy. Yes, then. me too. <laughs> me too. Not suitable for pleurisy plain. No. Uh, but it is the most brilliant deep red and uh, with its sort of limey green foliage <coughs> attracts a lot of attention at this time of year. Phyllis is fancy, one of the taller growing ones, yeah. is in full flower. Again, a great attractant <clears throat> to the, the nectar-loving birds. African sky, which is a wonderful toughy. And beautiful, sort of mid, slightly grey-tinged mid-blue. Beautiful. Sheapensis, if you want something for your magenta border, would look stunning. And that's in flower. And Costa Rica blue is just coming out at the moment. Oh, wonderful. Which is just looking magnificent. Mm. And then we've got smaller things like the rhodanthemums, which are great sun-loving plants with daisy flowers of various um, sorts. Uh, Phygeliuses, we have a range of those too. And the yellow trumpet was just looking gorgeous. Again, another great mm. bird attractant. And, of course, a, a, a range of grey foliage plants. So, And the succulents, well, with the sedums in flower at the moment, they're looking really good. Yes. So there's all sorts of things available. Just a little bit of diversity in amongst <laughs> all of that. Right. I, I actually yes. brought the list up. And yeah, we're, a, we're looking at all the right. Modern technology. We also will have a range of varias. So Hannah's been busy with those. And the other thing that we have, but... We're not bringing them down to the sale because they're declining into dormancy, but they are available and we have a good range, uh, very enthusiastically grown and produced by Wendy and amongst our uh, perennial team. Uh, so hostas, if anyone is interested in hostas, we have a wonderful selection, but they're beginning to decline, but that doesn't stop you growing them or planting them. Mm. Well, it's a good time to buy them to plant them anyway, as long as you're sort of aware that they are going into dormancy. Yes, exactly. Perfectly, perfectly yeah. So if you're not yeah. bringing them down to the sale, you just ask someone who's in yes. attendance? Yes. yes, and one of the perennial people will be able to um, guide you to Wendy, who okay. will more than happy 
to help you. Wonderful. Mm. Excellent. I was, I was really impressed by the, the Australian I mean, my, my, I scan and look straight yes. for the Australian native yes. plants, but there's a couple of grevilleas here which I found yes. really quite. There's a grevillea here, grevillea bedgoodiana, yep. um, which is a rare, rare plant in, in We in, often in do yeah. have uh, rare plants available, particularly mm. in, amongst the Aussie natives, because a lot of them are threatened in their habitats yeah. and uh, they've been introduced into the gardens and we have access of course to growing them on with, by cutting or whatever and yes you're right to point that out yeah. because there are some most interesting ones and there's a grevillea barclayana which yes. is which is one of the um, victorian species okay uh, it occurs in this tiny little population single population mm. just just near labatouche yeah. okay um, and uh, you know it's sitting here on the list so, yes. so yeah. there, there really are some rare yes um, you know um, Plants of conservation significance mm. in here as well. Mm. Fantastic, and, and I'm assuming they've come. They've come out of the uh, material which is cultivated for in the rare and threatened garden bed. Yes, the yes, yeah. they would be. Yeah, yeah. which is my favourite area. I mean, I've got lots. I've got so many favourite areas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of your multitudes <laughs> of favourite areas. Yeah. But I really do yeah. enjoy the rare and threatened um, plant garden. Yes, at, I think we ought to make more of a, a thing about it because. Um, it would be good to have more of them available and being grown outside the gardens and just a few keen plants people. Mm. Yeah, it's that whole uh, conservation through cultivation yep. um, thing, which yes. was, which would used to be the uh, when the old SGAP. Yes, it yeah. was um, that was their byline. It was conservation through cultivation, and I mm. think it still resonates today. Yes, mm. it does um, on a whole host of different mm. levels. Yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> As a, uh, a there's a, uh, a Botanic Garden Group called Big Ends, which is the industry group, Botanic mm. Gardens of Australia and yep. New Zealand. Yes. And so next week we're all heading to Bendigo Botanic Oh, yes, you're going oh, yes. to Bendigo. Yeah. Yes. And, and the theme for that day is um, the role of regional botanic gardens in, in plant conservation. Okay. Um, it, it, it's really, if you look at the distribution of regional botanic gardens in Victoria um, and you lay that across the, the, the bioregional map, um, there's this fantastic spread of botanic gardens in Victoria mm. um, and if each of those gardens is contributing in a little way to the conservation yes. of their local flora, oh, yes. a multi-site conservation collection across the state can be really quite a potent thing. Oh, yes. So we're going to moot that idea yeah. um, on Wednesday up at, up at Bendigo the, mm. the, the idea that um, there is this multi-site mm. um, uh, ex-situ off-site uh, conservation collection of plants at, in botanic gardens across yeah. the state. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, look, we've got some calls coming up. Yes, we must get to some of them. First up, we're going to, let me see, we're Margaret and uh, Margaret's out in Mentone. Good morning, Margaret. Hello, everybody. Thanks for waiting. Introducing in a jarring note, I want to ask about citrus gall. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you want to know, Margaret? Well, how to get rid of it and when you cut it out and prune it, what, how, do you de- de- how do you destroy it? Well, you've got to cut it out before, the, before August. Right. So you need to prune out your gall wasp well and truly before then because that's when they hatch out and off they go. And it's start an the next old generation. tree. Yeah. It's an old tree, but uh, I guarantee a double armful I pruned. Yeah. Yeah. But does it do any harm to put it into the... Um... Don't put it in the compost. No, but what You could what put about it through the... a shredder or something and that would be fine. Yeah, Once it's all right. chopped up. Yeah. Yes. Uh, when they collect the prunings, does it, can it go out there or does it do damage? 
look, I don't uh, think it'll do too much damage. They're going, mm. If you're putting it out in the green waste, they're going to shred it. They're going to put it into big piles where it's going to be heated up. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be perfectly fine to go into the green waste bin. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. Uh, so I would certainly do that. Uh, I have to say, if it was mine and I had citrus gall at home, which I don't have, touch wood, um, uh, I would put it through the shredder and, and then compost it down that way. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, once the material is dead, the gall wasp will die as well. Yeah. All right, thank you for your help. Has anyone actually seen the wasp? No, I've no idea what the wasp looks like. I'm curious now. (laughs) But I've got a feeling it's quite small. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll go next to uh, our good friend Sue up in Mount Evelyn. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Pam. I've just discovered something. It isn't easy drying dishes with one hand while you're holding the phone. Oh, (laughs) don't drop anything. (laughs) I just thought I'd ring up because um, I actually have six uh, admit two adults for a weekend pass to Teslas to give away today too to uh, oh fantastic uh, the first six 3CR listeners that come and ask for them okay gave quite a few away yesterday excellent we had Rosemary who does your off airline was down and yep. um, a few listeners and also Gil who we've mentioned before who catches public transport to all these open gardens oh and right he's been to Virginia's and mine and I saw him watching all the little birds in the garden yesterday. Fantastic. The other thing I was going to say, if you're going to these gardens, please save your appetite because I have got so much food here. (laughs) (laughs) We have got hummingbird cake, chocolate cake, uh, raspberry coconut slice, hedgehog, um... All, all those things that are terribly good for you and Weight Watchers, I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> and then I made lunch for everybody that didn't get eaten. So uh, to all the helpers, we've got lovely zucchini slice and a feta and goodness sort of me, baked, Sue. Um, the fridge is so full, so I need people to help me empty it. They can. <laughs> and I'm only charging a dollar for um, tea and coffee and a dollar for a piece of cake or slice. Wow. So. That's amazing. Like yeah. Oh, it was so, Sue, did you, did you have many through the garden yesterday? About 153 yesterday. Great, because it was a gorgeous oh, day. Oh, mm. wonderful. And I was glad Alan checked the email because um, there was a busload of 40 people came from the Springvale Gardening Club. All right. Um, and they said, we wish we hadn't known there was food here because they went for a picnic first before they came to my place. <laughs> oh, damn. And... Um, a group of people that came from a retirement village as well. Okay. Yeah, so it was really good, but I had a lot of helpers. Yep. Had Bob and Dot O'Neill who had, they were on the open garden who had, uh, they used to have Catandra Gardens. Mm. All right. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. But, um, okay, yeah, so it's all happening again today? So. Yeah, about to go and rake in the pyjamas, so don't turn up too early. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. Virginia and I are both looking forward to uh, to coming up and having a good wander and helping you out for the day. Yeah, yeah like eating your hummingbird cake and <laughs> things like that. I'm sure they'll do that well, for you. Well, if they're going to see you, Steve, and I can send them some... Yeah, yes, you send me home a food parcel, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also Fiona, too, because Fiona was helping me with um, plant names in the garden yesterday. I've tagged a lot of them, but... Okay. Uh, yeah, because I've only tagged some of them once when it was the repeat, people didn't see the sign. So, yeah, you need a lot of people sort of answering your questions up there. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Okay, then. Okay, well, so, you. so um, 10 o'clock this morning through till 4.30 this afternoon. Yep. Um, 11 Forge Road, Mount Evelyn. What's the easiest way for people to get there? Um, down Hereford Road, and actually mentioning that a few people turned away because they got lost. 
Okay. Um, I've put the signs up on Hereford Road yep. um, to come down Rangeview Road because Forge Road is actually in two sections. Ah. And I've actually put another sign at the end of the other part. So it sort of um, comes up another little road up Spring Street. So mm -hmm. persevere if you... Uh, just for a little minute, you'll see the signs. It was hard to try and find something to put them onto. It's difficult. Yep. Yeah, so... Okay, so I, just look out for the signs. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. But it's, it's got a Melways reference in the um, Open Garden Scheme book as well. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, okay well, then. we'll see you later in the day. Okay, then. Okay. Thanks, Pam. Bye. Bye. And uh, next up we have uh, Frank out in Noble Park. Good morning, Frank. Pam, so good to hear you, my friend. How we haven't you, heard baby? from you for a long time, Frank. Yeah, yeah. Fair income is a Ryan, all the panel, etc., etc. <laughs> now, fair income, the, yeah, of course I missed you all during the Christmas and the New Year season, etc. All right. Fair income, true story. And, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I was a bit surprised. I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep this conversation because there are 300 callers out there. And, uh, yeah, I was surprised that you all took such a long break. That's a different story. But this year, because I have a bit of Jewish background, fair income, my mother is Irish, and this year basically is fellow, to be really, really honest, you know? F-A-L-L-O-W, fellow. Gospel on the So they can't grow anything in Israel, and I also abide and I follow the Israeli, the Jewish rules. So... Even in my garden at the moment, I'm not growing anything. And I'm having a bit of a hard time getting a bit of gardeners. And um, I'm wondering, I want to mention the most important thing is uh, the regarding of fallowness. Uh, Mr. Ryan knows all that, I guess, and Pam, you know that too. And all the listeners uh, hearing out there. And fair um, income, I'm trying to terrace the soil and fertilize the soil, etc., etc. And in the southeastern suburb, Noble Park, we just can't get any gardeners, and uh, which uh, absolutely mesmerizing and amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, three seconds short. I I I, I said what from my heart and my mind and my soul. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, one would hope, Frank, that if there are gardeners out in in your neck of the woods, uh, they have their little ears have pricked up, and perhaps they'll be out there helping people. But. Uh, there must be, I don't know, there must be people around in that area that sort of do the sort of, uh, I don't know, dare we say the sort of gyms, gardening type things. There must be people... They're very that, expensive, my friend. Yeah, yes, well, that's true. Yeah, well, you know, and the other thing you could possibly do is if you're looking for people to help you in the garden is maybe get in touch with one of the um, colleges that teach horticulture. Mm. All right, yes. Uh, because a lot of those places have students that would be very happy to go out and earn themselves a few dollars uh -huh. uh, doing a bit of uh, labouring and gardening for people. Uh, it's a great learning experience for them. Uh, you also give them an opportunity to do something. So, yeah, so that might be another way of looking at it. The, other, the, other, the other thought I had, of course, is if there are any local garden clubs, become a member and often you'll, you know, you can do workshops um, out at your place if you've got, mm. um, you know, jobs that need doing and, and, and then you can reciprocate at their places mm. if there's work to be done. Well, we just heard about the, the we spring had, barrel uh, We had the uh, fair income. Yeah. We had uh, now this year is 2015, the month of April, but going back to 2014, I mean, God bless the Dandenong Council, fair income, true story, they brought them out, uh, what's his name now, to the memorial drive. They got, they, they brought all the professional ga gardeners, 
September, October to the Memorial Drive, and uh, the, they had a three-day session, and they showed them how to plant the panels, etc., etc. Yeah, uh, that was a great cause and a great help. But at the same time, Mr. Ryan, you are such a clever, clever man. Tell me the meaning of the word. I think you have been. Have you been to the kibbutz by any chance? If you don't mind me asking. No, I, I have not the, been to a kibbutz. The real meaning of the word F A W L O W. Sorry, you'll have to say that one again, fellow. No, no. Oh. I mean, uh, I guess you have been to the kibbutz in Israel, have you? No. All right. I haven't been to Israel. Okay. I've been to lots of places, but Israel's not one of them yet. But it may well be on the list. Okay. But, uh, yes, yeah, so no, I haven't been to a kibbutz. And if your whole garden is fallow at the moment, well, that's probably a good thing if you can't get any labour to help you. <laughs> no, no, no. The, 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 the meaning of fallow is basically every seven years. Hmm. Every seven years. So now this year, 2015, have dropped down into seven years. Mm. Now, basically, you look back to 1987, where all these problems occurred. Now, also, to Rabbi uh, uh, uh Nathan, uh, 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 I can't remember all the names, because uh, it's a gardening program. Mm. But basically, you look back to 28 years, all the stock markets fell down, etc. Every seventh year of the fellow... And again, uh, dropping after 87 to 28 years, 2015, what were the months, September, October, November, etc. And uh, I'm trying to still work out the meaning of the word fellow, but uh, I think the great creator, the great architect has some meaning there. You could be right, but I think you're, you're thinking far too deeply, Frank. You've got to think <laughs> deeply, my friend. As always, I do Shabbat Shalom, Pam. Mr. Ryan, all the great panel, not forgetting Jenny for taking my call. Shibar Shalom, keep us in thoughts and prayers. We'll do the same for you and your family. And Radio 3 here. God bless you all. Hallelujah. Amen. Bye-bye, <laughs> <laughs> Frank. Bye, Frank. <laughs> wow. Uh, dear. We do have some interesting listeners. We do uh, indeed. Uh, dear. On that note... Let's go to Cambodia. Yeah. That's yeah. where you've just been. <laughs> we have. Uh, myself and my wife, we, um, we've been cycling in uh, Cambodia and Vietnam. Right. Having never been to Southeast Asia before, so we were just sort of plonked right into the, right into the thick of it. Yes. Um, what a wonderful way of seeing the any, any, any country. Oh, but, but yes. What a wonderful way of seeing the country. The pace is just so gentle we we um it was an organized thing through a company called grasshopper adventures okay uh, so there was us and another couple so you didn't um, just go, get on a plane no. arrive in cambodia get yeah. a bike and, and go head south no because <laughs> no, i was going to say now that is seriously yeah, sort no. of adventurous yeah that's right yeah no, it, it was it was an organized yeah thing. so you had accommodation and things were exactly. sorted that way yeah, oh, exactly and oh, I, you're not as brave as i thought you were <laughs> 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 but the uh, the lovely i mean we were in uh rural areas of cambodia and vietnam uh, and we didn't. We went days and days without seeing Western faces, which was really quite fantastic. Yes. Um, but so we were cycling in areas where um, Western faces might be sighted maybe once a month or you know, okay. in, in that order. So, but my wife Lisa and I, we were riding a tandem 
Oh, so, so did you get yeah. to sit back and watch That's an adventure in itself. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really, really interesting. So um, uh, at one stage, we were like the Pied Piper mm. um, because we'd be, we'd be cycling along these canal paths and, you know, very, very quiet rural paths. No other vehicles, no other, a few scooters and a few other bits and pieces, but essentially very, very quiet rural canal paths. Um, and people, little kitties and, and other people, would look up and they would see this thing. (laughs) 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 This 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 two-wheeled, two-seated bicycle. And the look of... We elicited joy. Mm. It was it was Fantastic. absolutely a remarkable thing. So kids would run to the edge of the the track or the trail. Yep. Um, and we were just constantly high fiving. <laughs> um, I'm but, surprised you didn't end up in the canal. <laughs> <laughs> it was a beautiful experience. It was just a remarkable experience um, to to have that sort of interaction with with and and the word hello. Um, I, I actually counted how many hellos we would get. We were getting per hour mm-hmm. um, by. And it was literally one hello per minute. So there were these, these little hellos and hellos and hellos, and it was just this beautiful interaction with, um, with the people. The landscape itself, I mean, Cambodia, lots of Cambodia uh, at this time of the year, it's the dry, hot um, mm-hmm. time of the year. So there was no active rice in the paddies, um, as distinct from the Mekong, which is um, an irrigated landscape. They pull water out of the Mekong River. Yep. Um, so Cambodia was very dry and dusty. It reminded me a lot of inland Australia. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, very, very flat, very, very dry, very, very dusty. Um, so to contrast that with a- a- actively irrigated landscapes in, in the Mekong in Vietnam was incredible. Extraordinarily talented um, horticulturists. Mm. Um, you know, those rice paddies and chilli fields and taro fields. and um, Incredible. Incredible. It's so productive. Um, right. But all of the native vegetation displaced. Um, so, um, you know, on a few little hilltops, um, there's little remnants of the jungles, but, um, uh, you know, lowland uh, Cambodia and Vietnam, it's their predominantly ag- modified mm. agricultural landscapes. Yes, right. Um, but v- incredible. It was a, it was a, a fantastic <coughs> thing to do. Um, but to do it on a, a pushbike, do it on a tandem, mm. um, was, was just, it was remarkable in every sense of the word. Hot. Uh, 37 degrees and upwards of 50% RH. Yeah, I was going to say, humidity would be knocking Off your... the scale. Yeah, <laughs> knocking you about a tad. Yeah. So I take it you weren't uh, treadling along at great speed. You, no, You was could a, do it reasonably um, in a relaxed manner. Absolutely. Yeah. We're uh, taking all day to do 70 or 80 kilometres. Mm. Yep. So, mm. you know, up early, um, hit the road. And, and because we, we actually had a guide with us for, for, the, for the whole time, um, and the guide has got, you know, the local language and, um, I mean, there were some structured things to stop at this silk mill or, um, right. but, but a whole, a, a lot of the experiences were completely, um, uh, spontaneous. So we'd be riding along the side of it and we'd see a, a, a group of women chopping up herbs. Um, and you know, the guide would talk to them and see if it was okay that we actually came and had a look and it, Amazing. It was an extraordinary, really extraordinary experience. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So at night, did you stay in local we, villages? We stayed in hotels. Oh, hotels. Yeah. So it was oh, all very civilised. Didn't oh. rough it. Yeah. <laughs> it was all yeah, very civilised. You've just gone down in my estimation yet again. Yet again. It's gone under, under yeah, uh, promises and under yeah, delivery. Yeah, well, <laughs> what could you say? 
Oh dear, I was expecting you to be pitching tents or something, you know, <laughs> so on the side of a crocodile infested river or something. Uh, you know. having, having done it this way, uh, it would be not so much Cambodia, but um, you know, places like Thailand, we're, we're thinking that it would be really quite easy to do. Just as solo, yeah, from you know, point to point. Yes. Stuff. The, the, the benefit of having the tour group was A, there was some language, um, but, uh, but, but B, we could actually go off the, the, the point to point tracks. Yes, right. Um, because the, the canal system in um, both Vietnam and Cambodia, it's, it's just a labyrinth. Um, so you could easily get lost. <laughs> you could easily get lost, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a great experience, but really, really good. Um, the horticulture, the, the 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 standard of some of our crop mm. management was just incredible. You know, fields and fields and fields of chilies, mm. red to the horizon. It was, oh. it was beautiful. Mm. Yeah. So was it mainly for local consumption? Did it go to the local markets or? Uh, look, I think so. Yeah, there was. Uh, I think the chip, the majority of the chilies in the area that we were in were, were for dry chilies, mm-hmm. um, and the drying happened just happens on the side of the road, right? Like literally onto the straight onto the concrete. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was it was a, a, a thing. It was a, and having never been to Southeast Asia, just about bang, um, and to do it on a push bike, it's just great. <laughs> So, the, uh, my wife Lisa and I, she's not qu- quite as keen a cyclist as I am. So the deal was that we'd spend, you know, this this week cycling in Cambodia and Vietnam, and then we'd have a week of R and R. Right. So, so we actually went to Phuket. Oh, we, we, oh so then I should have been down again. Pina colada in hand. Yeah, that's right, under a palm tree. Yes, I can see it all now. It wasn't so much adventure. Well, I personally am very impressed. Well done, John. Wonderful. Food wise. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Just. The Very fresh, lots of fresh herbs. Lots of fresh herbs, lots of. Um, I mean, there's some obviously real, chili. Obviously, <laughs> chili. chili. Yeah. I mean, there's some real um, uh, French influences in Vietnam. Mm. Uh, yes. And Thai food, just great. Mm. Yes. So, no, we. Um, I actually put on weight. <laughs> <laughs> That's is, not meant to happen no, in Southeast no, no, Asia. No, no, no. <laughs> no, so you didn't even pick up a decent batch of um, diarrhea or anything no, while you were there either. No, I, did, too, I, did get, I did get a bit crook, but yeah. That, uh, well, you nearly always do. I mean, yeah, yeah. anywhere you go where there's a different food base and all that sort of stuff. Oh, you yes. Know, you, your tummy's almost invariably going to pick yeah. up a bit of a stink at some stage. Yeah, but going, what's going it's on all here? part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, mm. so would you would you recommend it to most people as being something to do, provided they go with a tour guide? Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and uh, I'm, you'd, you'd want to be good. I'm not sure that I would do it on a tandem unless you were, <laughs> unless you were really quite proficient. Skillful, because yes. some of it was quite technical. Going over these rickety wooden bridges and over the canals, and okay, you know, it's far better if only one person falls. <laughs> That's right. Yes. The, other one, the other one can fish. The other one can fish the other one out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, you know, uh, in a heartbeat, you'd, um, you'd, you'd, you'd do that. It was just a great way of seeing the, the landscape. Mm. Mm. And I guess in that climate, everything's going to grow so fast and so. Luxuriantly, isn't it? We were looking at uh, some mango plantations and mango steam plantations. Oh, the tropical fruits, uh, mm. just awesome. Uh, you go to markets, and uh, one particular market just specialised in a whole range of tropical fruits and things that I've never seen before. Right. Um, all sorts of really amazing 
uh, unusual tropical fruits. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we went to <clears throat> a, a mango plantation and we're looking at these mature trees that I had assumed might have been 20 years old, mm-hmm. five years old. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. And, you know, they've got girths, uh, you know, 30 wow. centimetre girths wow. and, and, you know, bearing fruit after five five years. So yeah. the tropics, it's just that water. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, quite remarkable. Yes. Yeah, but they don't do autumn colour very No, well. no, they yeah. don't do autumn colour. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No, they don't do autumn yeah. colour. Uh, yeah. And tro- tropical gardens, I'm, I, they're, they're, they are ubiquitous. Mm. Um, and, I'm, mm. and, and I don't like variegated plants. Um, oh. And the tropical gardens are full of quite gaudy Protons yes. and oh, yes, you know, like even, even things, <laughs> yeah, Gauguin paintings. What can you say? <laughs> <laughs> even things like um, hibiscus, uh, it's variegated hibiscus, yeah, and, and they grow the variegated one, yeah, and they grow the variegated one, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah I, there's nothing I, subtle about no, their, 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 their tropical gardening, really, is there? Not really, but I guess you can sort of go there, immerse yourself in it. You don't have to bring it home. No. Uh, I quite like the idea, actually, of going somewhere where their, their horticulture or their plant palette is, in fact, quite different to what I'm used to. Mm. Um, because, for me, that's what it's all about, is to go and immerse yourself in a different cultural thing as well as a different horticultural thing. Sure. And so, you know, for me, going to places like Madagascar, I mean, I can't grow anything that no. they grow there, really. No. Um, but it's great to just go and see those bizarre and interesting plants. Mm. And, and it's the same in other parts of the world. I mean, everywhere I go, I, I attempt to... Uh, to, to see the weird flora. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance that I might be off to New Caledonia in a couple oh, of months' time. Fantastic. And, and I'm so looking forward to seeing a, a parat- parasitaxis, maybe. Yeah, uh, the world's only parasitic conifer yeah. uh, that comes from New Caledonia. So, you know, you go into these places, you don't expect to see the things that you're familiar with because no. that's part of the fun of doing yeah. it. No. It's like looking for a McDonald's when you're in Peru. I yeah, mean, yeah. for God's sake, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, but, but it's interesting that the tropical gardens... Um, they do tend to have the same palette of a couple yeah, of hundred species. Yeah, they do. You know, it's, yeah. it's the it's the um, uh, and a lot of them are variegated. <laughs> um, but the, the sort of the uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I, 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 but I agree. I, I think that's one of the the, the joyous things of travelling is that you are in amongst unfamiliar things. Yeah. yeah. And I do have to say, tropical gardening is sort of shove in and it grows. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of the stuff they use is things they can just whack canes in the ground. Frangipani. Uh, yeah, like frangipani. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of these things, the crotons and things, they just yeah. whack the, the, the <clears throat> branches in the ground. And that's why it becomes ubiquitous a bit because yeah. it, they're sort of... I don't know. I wouldn't like to try and start a nursery in some of those places. No. Nobody would ever buy no, anything. No, no, that's yeah. right. Not when you can just grab a frangipani and put a, yeah, like a branch. Yeah, and shove exactly. it into the ground. You've got a tree. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a completely different sort of thought process that goes into gardening in those sort of places, which makes it. All the more fun, I think, in a way. Oh, totally. Yeah. New yeah. Caledonia, that's going to be very exciting. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it'll come off. We're sort of just in the sort of formative planning stages at the moment, as we always do about a month in before we have to go somewhere. <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, but, yeah, I've often thought I'd like to get there with all those different agathas and you know, oh, all the things that oh, grow there. Uh, I, yeah, uh, I can't wait. So, yeah, so we, we'll hopefully just hire a car and go. Fantastic. Mm. So that, that's the plan. Uh, I've got to go see a friend who's been there several times on plant 
exploring trips to see where all the best places to go will be. Is that One, Al, Al Watt? Yes, Al Watt. Yeah. Yes, I've got to go see Al. Yep. Um, and he's going to sort of give me the lowdown on where I should be going. Well, he's um, the man. Well, he is. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't ask for somebody better. And, uh, yeah, um, I'll go and visit my Agathus Montana in the wild and yeah. things like that. Metrosideros. <laughs> oh, yes. All of those things. Oh, yes. Those, oh. That huge array of interesting sort of myrtaceous plants. Yeah. Some wonderful things grow in New Caledonia. So that's the plan. Brilliant. Okay, oh. we must get through a few calls. Oh, yes. Uh, we're going first to Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam, and everybody else on the panel. Um, I went to Jindavik yesterday. All at, right. At the um, Rare Plants show. Yep. It was absolutely fantastic. And so many unusual plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Salvia Group was there in full force and <laughs> sold out of many of the specialties. Right. And like Van Hootie and... Others, um, uh, the peop- you know, uh, the people are absolutely in love with. Yep. And uh, the other thing I want to say is, um, Peggy Pen- uh, Penny Woodward was absolutely brilliant on Gardening Australia last night, talking yes, about garlics, identifying at least ten different ones just just on the spot, and giving fantastic advice as to which ones grow best in which parts of Australia, and it was just. Amazing. So, congratulations, Penny. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jill. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Uh, Next up, we'll go to uh, Ken from Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, everybody. By the way, just before I start, if anyone travelling overseas wants a good luggage boy... (laughs) (laughs) I spent all my money travelling and I'm a pensioner now and I've I've done a couple of trips, I went to China but anyway, that's beside the point but the thing is, I'm broke now (laughs) Um, look, I'd like to sort of I've spoken before that there's a park we've got a, uh, in in Brimbank, in West Sunshine there's a park, it's a three house block and there's 24 of them around the city of Brimbank and we've got administrators, and they want to sell, start selling these parks off. Mm. So they've started to, to, the one we're going to go today, we're going to have a sausage sizzle at 12 o'clock, at, um, and we're asking people to, in the western suburbs to, uh, to come and join us. It starts at 12 o'clock, mm-hmm. and we're going to start the battle to say, or we've, we've been fighting to save the park, we've letterboxed 3,000 letters wow. through the area. We've done a lot of work. Yep. And we're, what we're going to do is, uh, if we get the numbers there today, we're not leaving the park. Okay. So we're going to we're, we're going to pick it. Yep. Good on you. So it's in it's in uh, Macubri Avenue, and everyone is welcome, even from outside, because this could happen to you. And we've got to save everything we've got. Absolutely. And thank you very much. Okay. Well, good luck with that today, Ken. Well, we, well, we, we know how to fight in the western suburbs. Yep. <laughs> and, um, I'm very proud of the area. We, we shifted a freeway, and I don't think anyone in Australia has done this. We actually shifted a freeway a kilometre, and um, the people in the air, when we had it, they were going to knock down 800 homes. Ooh, oh. And it was in the middle of winter, and we had 800 people here. Right. And we won. Fantastic. Well done. Well, anyway, the best of luck thank with this you one. very much. Yep. Okay. Good, Good on you, Ken. Thank you. Bye. Ring us back and let's know how it goes. Oop, he's off. He's, he's going off. out to chain himself to something. He is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got uh, Jonathan next out in Ringwood. Good morning, Jonathan. 
Oh, good morning. Um, by the way, with regard to Cambodia, um, we've got a friend who, due to a medical condition, has got a rather prominent belly. He went there in Vietnam, and he thought it amusing at first that people would come up to him and rub his belly for good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and might Paul after a little while, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right, after the third day. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we've got a rather lovely succulent that's about um, uh, individual... Uh, stems about two feet long about an inch and a half wide and once a year for a couple of days it comes up with a lovely white flower that looks like um, fingers at the end of it I just want to know how I can propagate that well without knowing what it exactly is that makes it a little difficult uh, but most succulents can be propagated quite easily from stem cuttings mm. the thing with them though is you've got to remember that because they, they hold an enormous amount of moisture inside them uh, the best thing you can do is cut your cutting, slice it nice and neatly on the bottom, and then let it sit somewhere for a day or so before you plant it so that the end of the cutting will sort of seal off a bit so that it's less likely to rot. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, so that's that's the basic thing I would do with most succulents if uh, if I were propagating them from cuttings. Uh, I don't know whether this thing is dividable. Mm. Could, could you break it apart and have roots on the um, each piece straight I'd off? I don't know. I haven't looked at that. Yeah, because that's another way that uh, many succulents sort of end up with multitudes of rosettes or stems within a pot, which are often independent mm. as far as their root system is concerned. Mm. So many of them can just be divided. Um, so, you know, but without seeing the plant and seeing its growth pattern and being sure what we're talking about, it's a little bit sort of hard to give advice. Does it have strappy leaves, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, strappy leaves, like I said, about two feet long and about an inch and a half wide. Yeah. And they look like little nodules, you know, it goes <coughs> in and out and out. Yeah, I think, to, to, yeah, it's difficult, but um, division sounds like it might be a, a, yeah. a, a lot of those strappy leaf succulent things, you can just chop them into yeah, into parcels. And bits. do I buy special... Um, potting mix or what no no use a general potting mix but if you're not if you're not sure that it drains well enough just mix a bit of coarse gravel through it as well okay yeah but you don't need to have specific special potting mixes for most succulents they'll they'll grow in a normal potting mix quite well thanks very much okay right bye bye Bye. and uh we have virginia out in coburg good morning virginia oh good morning um i've got a question about um I've got downy mildew on my clivias and I read that you use a um, solution with milk but then it also said this is a preventative and didn't really help with plants that already had it. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to know, should I go ahead with the milk solution? You can if you like. I mean, it's not I, going to do any harm. Yeah, you can't do any harm with it. Um, but I was going to say I'm surprised that you've got plants that have got anything wrong with them because it's normally one of those plants that's virtually... Well, trouble-free. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you well, stick them in the ground and they grow. That's right, that's right. So I'm a bit horrified to see mm. them kind yeah, of... Yeah, look, I, if it were mine, I'd just leave them and see what happens because a lot of these things come and go. Mm. I've left them for two years. And it's still... It's had the downy mildew through the whole seems, two years. Yeah, it seems to be getting worse. So the, the new shoots on the side seem to suffer the most. Mm. And, mm. yeah, the leaves just... Um, the ones that have it, the leaves just kind of, they've got the white mildew and then they rot and fall off. The other are you, ones are, are you all... watering them too much? No, I never water them. Good. And, and all the others that don't have it are flowering twice a year, very healthy, but 
How much stock have you got that's got this problem? Um, I'd say about um, a quarter. Hmm. Really? In, in the rose world, there's now thinking with, with mildew that the actual plant is saying that it does need water. Mm. Uh, and this is some of the research that's come from South, South Africa. Okay. Um, so you might try and, and give, give a, a little bit more water to the plant. Mm. And there's also been research done with, with um, milk. But if you use milk um, combined with water... You need to keep it keep it up. It's not something that you can put straight on and, and just solve the problem. Yeah, okay. And, and that also has been borne out with uh, milk with uh, grapevines and the percentage that they've been using is about 50% full-fat milk yeah. and 50% water. Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, mm. I guess I can try that, but there's mm. nothing else I can do really, is there? Well, you can use fungicides, I guess, if all else fails. I mean, mild- mm. the downy mildew would probably respond to a, a commercial fungicide if nothing else works. It, uh, yeah. uh, and I guess uh, as far as, you know, um, curative things are concerned, fungicides are probably a little more benign than weedicides and insecticides. But nonetheless, you still need to be cautious about, you know, over-utilising and things because you can have an impact on your uh, soil-borne flora yeah. of fungal things. So you just need yeah. to be a bit cautious. Yeah. Um, and I guess if all else fails, if you've got perfectly healthy ones in some parts of the garden and less healthy ones in other parts of the garden, uh, if all else fails, I'd ditch all the, all the ill ones. One of my, one of them is my yellow clivia. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> never mind. I don't understand why you're having this problem. It, it's know, just something it's, that I've never seen. Yeah. I mean, I grow them in the garden home, and mm. we're actually borderline to grow them because of cold conditions. Yeah. So I've got to be very careful where I plant them. But yeah. you know, apart from the occasional frosted leaf, I don't ever have any problems with the genuses. No. I know. It's, yeah. it's very strange. But yeah. anyway, um, but and the other question that I have is. Um, well, how do you deal with citrus leaf miner? I've never had citrus leaf miner, so I'm not sure what to suggest for that. But most leaf miners are a real problem because they're an insect pest that's inside the leaf. So you yeah. can't use contact sprays mm. to get rid of them because yeah. contact sprays aren't going to get at them. Mm. So your classical pyrethrums and things aren't going to have really any great impact. And you may end up having to go for a systemic, like mm. a confidor-type thing, probably, mm. Would okay. be. I can't think of any other way you'd deal with a leaf miner. I read somewhere that you had to, you could deal with it by spraying uh, white oil um, from early summer because you can't see the the um, the moths. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I haven't tried that, so I wondered if anyone. Yeah, well, so in certainly, once the insect is actually inside the leaf, though, I can't see how white oil would have any impact mm. on it at that point. I think it was before they yeah. it got there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, look. At the end of the day, uh, one hit with Confidor might clean up the problem, and then you can walk away from it. Um, okay. Sometimes you spend an awful lot, of, and look, I'm I'm I try and be as organic as I can in my garden. I certainly don't use a lot of insecticides or sprays or anything like that. Yeah. If I can let something just fight its own way. I do Um, but at the end of the day sometimes there will be certain things that if you don't uh, make some sort of effort at um, dealing with it in one hit uh, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to deal with this thing and um, life's too short yeah well it is break the cycle yeah Yeah. you need to break the cycle and then hopefully things will settle down again Uh, and of course at the end of the day it comes down to the fact are you prepared to live with the problem 
not live with the problem? Do you leave the plant there? Do you take the plant out? Uh, yeah. Which is sometimes the ultimate uh, cure for things. Mm-hmm. You know, if something is prone to getting something really badly regularly, is it worth the effort? Yeah. Um, uh, or is there something else you could grow uh, instead? And yep. so sometimes, you you know, you need to look at it that way as well. I certainly don't keep ill plants in my garden for terribly long. Yep. Uh, if I can't deal with the issue fairly quickly or if it's not something that goes away of its own accord, uh, then the plant goes away. Okay. So sometimes you've got to look at it that way too. All so, right. Thanks and, very much. And be help. philosophical about it all. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Yes, white fly has been fun this year. Mm. Yes, and I've just yeah, basically lived with it. Everything's covered yeah. in white fly. Oh. My canners have got white fly all over them. My tomatoes got white fly all over them. My beans got full of white fly. Um, uh, I was picking amaranth leaves all covered in white fly. Funnily enough, the white fly seemed to disappear between the amaranth plant and the kitchen. <laughs> they seemed to fly away before I got to the kitchen with them. Um, there was white fly everywhere this year. Yes. And, I mean, it did, did have an impact on the vigour of some of the plants and all that sort of stuff. But certainly annual vegetable crops and things, I can't see any point in stepping in. Oh, no. You know, you, you just get what you can off them. I still picked a lot of beans. I still got lots of amaranth foliage. Mm. Um, didn't get as many tomatoes, but I think that was ba- basically the weather as well. Mm. Um, so you just sort of grin and bear those things, and next year it probably won't be as bad. Exactly. So we had, we had a it'll pop- be some other bug. We had a pocket of white fly in, in the rose nursery. And uh, the white fly coming in off the pasture and the grass, yeah. especially up north. And uh, it was a problem last year. And what we used was uh, neem oil was very effective along mm. with eco oil oh, and yeah. very safe in the environment as well. Mm. But we had to keep at it. And they were, they were lodged in the aggregate at the base of the, of, of the nursery. Mm. But we finally did, were successful with it. Yeah. But we'll have to watch it next year again, I, mm. I yeah. believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there you go. Mm. Okay. All right. John, uh, what's happening down at Cranbourne? We haven't even mentioned Cranbourne no. this morning. Well, he hasn't been there. No, I've not been there. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it's still there. No, it's, no, it's, it's, it's still there and looking good. It's a, it's a really quiet um, time, you know, that kind of early autumn. It's, a, it's quite a quiet time for flowering Australian native plants. Right. So I, I did a lap yesterday just to see what was you know, in flower. Yes. Um, and not a, not a whole heap. I mean, there's a few banksias and a few bits and pieces um, in flower, but it's mm. that sort of, it, it's a real, it's a quieter time in terms of, in, in terms of flowers. But it'll all start to hit as soon as the weather breaks, won't it? Because as soon as you hit yeah. winter. Yeah, mm. that's when things start yeah, to happen. Yeah, native plants native then plant go world. nuts. Yeah. You know, you'll be getting all your wattles and in, indeed all sorts of stuff in bloom. The, the, the nice thing about the Australian garden is that the, the structure of the garden actually holds um, during these, these 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 quiet times, yes, um, because it is a, it is as, as, as much about the, the the landscape elements and the features and the you know the hard landscape. It, it, that's the constant in the in the Australian garden. Mm. Um, so no, it's, the, the garden is looking really really good. Mm. We're, we're at, uh, gardens of they're, they're you never finish a garden, do you? Oh, of course. No, no. no. Anybody who thing. tells me that they finished their gardens, yeah. I realise isn't a gardener. No, no, that's right. <laughs> so we're at this phase which we're, we're where we're still very much in establishing a, a, a landscape mode um, and kind of reconciling some of the issues and the problems that, that, that we've got um, in, in the garden. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's really interesting that, that it's an old sand quarry, um, uh, but we don't have uniformity of sand. Um, so sands aren't sands. <laughs> um, there are there is so we've got this huge diversity of sand. We've 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 actually taken samples of all the different sand, sand types um, that we have in the Australian garden, and we've got these beautiful free draining white, almost um, almost uh, sand 
um, sandpit sands. Mm. Um, and then we've got sands that have got a, a bit of clay in them. They're called fatty sands. Okay. Um, and quite a bit of what we're t- trying to garden in, in the, in the Australian garden are these sands that have got that clay fraction. Mm. Um, and it's really quite challenging. Um, so we... One of the issues that we're dealing with is, is kind of almost waterlogged soils or soils that um, mm. that are holding a lot of water. So water retentive mm. sands. You don't think sands no. and no, water you assume that it just all disappears. It all disappears. Yeah. 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 So there must be a fair percentage of clay in there. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So these fatty sands, these water retentive sands. Yeah. Mm. Um, so there's a number of areas where we have to dig out those water retentive sands and replace them with free draining sands. So it, it, there's a there's <laughs> just a, a whole range of um, you're sure that's yeah, not yeah. one of those things you give apprentices just to make them work harder? You know, so <laughs> go and take that go sand in. out so we can put some sand in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, the other thing that we're doing is we're doing curatorial management plans for, for all of the precincts of the Australian Garden, which is, um, you know, the Taylor Cully Leftline Paul Thompson brief is finished. Um, yes. Essentially, um, and now <coughs> as a as a um, uh, uh, staff, we're we're setting the direction for um, for the garden into into the future. We're sort of looking at the Tullacully Leftland Paul Thompson design, dealing with some of the issues that we've got with respect to soil conditions, and you know mm. we've had lots of um, there's lots of challenges with a, a, a landscape on that scale, mm. um, and. Uh, uh, so we, yeah, we're doing curatorial planning for for the site. So that's looking at each individual precinct, okay, um, and you know setting the direction for that into the future, which is a really nice. It's a really nice thing to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the phase of the project, it's it's uh, it's it, we're still in the landscape establish- establishment stage. Um, Last time I was down there, which wasn't all that long ago. Um, I thought some of the display gardens were looking a bit sparse. It's interesting. The, 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 the display gardens in the first stage, they were designed to be there as uh, temporary installations. Mm-hmm. So they'd be there for three to five years. Now, some of these landscapes have been there for eight mm. years now yes. and ha- they haven't been turned over. Okay. Um, so part of the curatorial planning process is to say, it, it, does the garden have um, the... Should it be there long term? Mm-hmm. Should it be a, a permanent structural element in the landscape? And if so, it'll be managed in a, in a different way. So the diversity garden, the first garden that you on the right-hand side as you walk in, um, that was designed to be a garden that was only there for a couple of years. Okay. Um, so we've planted a number of eucalypts in there, which are now trees. Yeah, um, and they'll and, be having a huge impact on those things around them now. And, and, and we've planted two or three, four or five trees um, really quite closely together mm. because there was never any view that they'd be there in... In eight years' time, yes. Um, so we're looking at these 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 gardens and um, you know, making some decisions as to as to how they get managed into the future. I suspect some of these gardens will turn over. Um, some of the gardens have probably hit their use by date in terms of you know they're looking a little bit tired and. Yes. Um, uh, but some of the gardens, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine, be, would be permanent. The exhibition gardens, the display gardens. Okay, interesting. You'd, you'd reckon a water savings garden or a water conservation garden will always resonate. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's likely to be, when we go through this curatorial planning process, that's likely to be a garden that we maintain in perpetuity. John, okay. what issue does water play in, in the garden? Um, it, it, it's a, uh, we have too much water. <laughs> in, in, in some areas these, these areas that have got the, the clay fraction in the sand drainage is a real issue mm-hmm. um, so we're, we're having to sort of reconcile some of these poorly draining sands mm. um, uh, it's an irrigated landscape 
um, mm-hmm. although we're using a sort of a fraction of the water that uh, that is at the table, of course. The whole area is irrigated? Yeah, variously yeah. irrigated. Yeah. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. there's some areas that may not get any irrigation per year, but there's the capacity to irrigate. Mm-hmm. I mean, the decision, I, I think, was taken to... I mean, you can, of course, you can create an Australian garden that's non-irrigated, mm. but the diversity of plant material you can um, offer would be you know, much, much narrower. And you've got huge diversity within the garden. Well, the brief was to try and ca- capture the, the beauty and the diversity of the Australian flora. Um, yes, and exactly. that includes Tasmania. And that, yeah, yeah. And, and, and North Queensland. Yeah, and North Queensland. Yeah, so you've you got know, the, the tropical whole... rainforests and you've got the, the temperate rainforests. And, you know, so there's lots of water requiring plants in the yes. Australian they, they really are. palette. They really are. Uh, and I think that's been actually part of the problem with native plants as a. Uh, as an as a whole over the years has actually been the fact that people have pigeonholed them all as somehow the same. Yeah. You know that yeah, yeah. you know oh, they're native, tolerant. so obviously yeah. they're drought tolerant yeah. and they're easy and they're and of course it's not the case. I mean, there's just such a diversity of plants in this country that require different conditions. I mean, it's just logical. Mm. Yeah. Just, just have a think about the diversity of Melbourne. Yeah, you know, you've got yes. Diggers Rest, exactly, maybe mm. 500, 450 mm. millimetres yeah. rainfall. Add a metre um, to that at Mount Dandenong. And logically, it doesn't mean because it's native, it's going to be easy. I mean, our, most of our worst weeds are exotic plants that come from even tougher environments than yeah. we have, and they've come here as garden plants, and they've loved it. Mm. So you can't tell me there's not plenty of South African, Chilean, uh, Californian, mm. Mediterranean Mexican. plants that are every bit as hardy, if not tougher, than some of our natives. No, absolutely. You know, yeah, so absolutely. people thinking that they have to plant natives for, I don't know, for, for those sorts of reasons need to really think this through because it's not, it's not that straightforward. It's not that yeah. cut and dried. And, and you're asking for problems if you don't sort of look at it a little bit sort of more in depth. Absolutely. You know, and, and sort of look at them. I mean, I bought a plant along today that I would reckon would out-drought a good percentage of our Australian native plants, <laughs> Certainly. Uh, a thing co- called Coletia from Chile. Um, uh, and it's a spiny, frightening beast of a plant. It is. Um, it's the sort of thing I tell it's people. It's pretty like, good now, yeah. though. Oh, it's covered in tiny little white flowers. Yes. It has a lovely honey perfume if you can get in close enough without prickling your nose. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those plants I say to people, look, you plant these under your bedroom window and it stops people getting out. Yep. Or in. No, no, out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a wonderful plant uh, as long as you are into sculptural, strange-looking plants and you don't bend over when you're weeding nearby. Um, uh, but it comes from really dry, arid areas of Chile. Now, I can grow it at Mount Macedon mm-hmm. perfectly well, so it's yep. adaptable enough to it's my cooler yep. climate. Um, and I reckon it will out-drought half our native plants. So, mm. and, yet, and it's been in Australia for a long time and it's actually shown no... no uh, weediness yet either so nice. so it's it's perfectly safe it's a benign plant that you could have in your garden except that it's as prickly as hell uh, and it's called the crucifix plant because uh, one could get crucified on it uh, it has these it, really it's leaves are tiny little things that only wonderful. only has the odd leaf so what you're actually looking at the the greenery on this is actually flattened mm. stems yeah. so it's a bit like some of our acacias and others that have modified parts of the plant to be, make it more drought tolerant yep. uh, because that's harder and so forth than a leaf so mm. it doesn't lose as much moisture um, and so you know so it's a really tough hardy plant and uh, and if somebody wants something that will really sort of uh, well 
if you're growing Colettia collections in your garden, you'd probably be considered to probably be socially inept, uh, maybe even an axe murderer. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a really strange plant. It's certainly not a thing I sell a lot of. But there you go. It's going to say something about uh, me, but uh, um, I, I, they're closely related to an Australian plant called Discarius. Yeah. Um, or they're, they're the anchor plant group. Yeah. And, and I could have a collection of these. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I sort of like the idea, although I did notice that my Easter egg hunt this year that I had a few young nieces and things saying, why does Uncle Stephen plant so much prickly stuff? And I generally say it's so that the Easter bunny can hide the eggs and you can't get at them. But, you know. John, 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 John has there any, been any work done at Cranbourne with fire retardant plants? Uh, not, not really. I mean, the the the, the Cranbourne bushland it's um, it's a it's a heathland, so we're doing work on um, fire ecology. So there's some really interesting work happening at Cranbourne on um, you know ecolog- fire fire and uh, as an ecological tool, as a, a management tool for the bushland. Um, there's one area around buildings. There's a uh, uh, there's a uh, an overlay, mm-hmm. um, particularly for new buildings, uh, um, and. Uh, we're doing some work on planting, um, uh, sort of reducing fuel loads and those types of those right. types of things, and you, using you know Australian succulents as ground covers and, and those those types of things. Um, but no, not 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 in a really targeted way. It's more in a in a uh, asset protection, you know, managing a building by planting and reducing the fuel loads around buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Okay, let's go to our next caller. We have uh, Margaret out in queue. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. <coughs> uh, my problem is that my garden is just not flowering. I've got about 20 or more roses, not one flower in autumn. I have two big tubs of lemons. The lemons are all green. Haven't They've been green for months. Are you gardening in the shade? No. No. My roses face uh, west and north. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a, 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 any feeding program for your roses yes. at all? What, what do you use? We used um, Sudden Impact. Yes. And then some poultry manure. Right. And then some uh, potash. Okay. Um, what I, I could suggest that you will will need to do is... is is to slow down that, that growth and you could use the straight organic liquid seaweed and, and use that on the plants at least once every fortnight. Right. Right. And that should build up uh, your... Is that all the year through? Or yes, it, it, yes, and you can use it all the year through. Every, once a fortnight, all through the year. Well, you, you can simply use a watering can and use the uh, a sprinkler well, on the watering can. it's a terrace garden, right. and I'm at the age now I can't sort of get down right. to the lower terrace. There are three terraces. Right. Um, well, the other alternative is to use a, 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 spray, a little spray unit that you can get 50-litre spray units now and mix it up uh, with that, and you can get a, um, a spray spray gun that will project out anything up to about four or five metres. Right, right. Okay, and that's what we actually use in our nursery, and it's very simple, and it's very quiet to use, which is really good. And where is your nursery? Our nursery is, is um, uh, up off the Hume Freeway. Oh, no, too far for me. I can't get that far. Now, uh, what about the lemons? The lemons are just... Uh, Lots of lemons, but they're just green yes. uh, and yeah. not a sign of turning yellow. Yeah, well, neither are mine. 
Oh. oh, mine are doing very well. Thank uh, you. Well, it does depend on the variety of lemon for a yeah, start. I mean, I've got, I've, well, I've got some Maya lemons ripening on my lemon tree at the moment, but my Tahitian lime and my Lisbon lemon, they're all green. Uh, and so it's, it's just a matter of seasonal things. And I mean, yeah. as the winter comes on, it's going to slow up things. So it's going to probably, you'll probably find they won't ripen right through now until the spring. So if you're waiting for that gin and tonic, you might have to buy yeah. a lemon. Oh. But, that, but the fruit, fruit will hold. Yeah, the fruit will hold. Ultimately yeah. will. Yeah. yeah, so they, they, will, they will ultimately ripen, but you've just got to be patient with them. And I don't, I think it's just uh, um, the variety in the season and what have you that you're dealing with at the moment and things will come right in due course. You just have to be patient with it. And you don't think it's the soil. Everything's green and healthy. If it's green and healthy, it's not the soil. Mm. Ah. So well. I, I, I would just be patient with your lemon tree. Uh, I think you will find it will come online in due course. And, in fact, I've now got about three different, well, sort of limes, lemons and things in the garden at home. And when one's not fruiting, the other one is. Mm. So right. uh, I never rely on any of them to give me fruit all year round. I mean, some people do seem to have lemon trees that seem to have fruit on all year round. But certainly in my climate, that doesn't happen. Uh, and so I'll have a glut of limes for a while and then the lemon will move in. And, you yeah. know, and so I, I've always got some citrus for a gin and tonic. And what about, should I cut them off? It's laden with green lemons. No. No, if the tree's healthy, it's supporting yeah. the, the fruit, so I, would, I wouldn't take them off. Um, I might add, if the fruit is getting big enough to have juice inside it, you can use lemons like a lime too, and you can use them before they're yellow. Right, right. Oh, as long as they're juicy. That's nice to know. Margaret, can I ask how often you water your roses and your lemon? I have a sprinkler system that goes on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. Oh, well, I would ease back on my watering. Right. I really would. And you could probably well, ease that not- back to once a week. No, it's not. Look, facing west and north, it's terribly dry and being terraced. And I only have the sprinklers on for seven minutes. Right. And... um, Well, that's not long enough. No. I would have them on once a week for half an hour. really deep watering once a week. You need to get that soaking. Yeah, I don't think you're getting water down into the ground far enough, Margaret. Right. So right. I think the, the seven-minute thing, particularly with, I don't know whether you're using drippers or microsprays or no, what. No, I, I had drippers, but I, this year I've reinstalled the uh, sprays and the people who did them told me that was what I should have. No, I, I don't believe that because seven minutes, with most of those sort of sprinkler systems, they're, they're, they're low-volume No, water. this is not low-volume. I've got very good um, volume of water, a lot of water. Mm. Are, are you mulching? No. No. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, often with sprinkler systems, seven minutes would be just enough to wet up the mulch. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, no. yeah, but, yeah good thing. long, even my crepe myrtles are not flowering. So, yeah, Nothing. I think with irrigation, it's longer intervals and deeper. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I don't believe seven minutes three times a week is the way to go. That's just going to encourage surface, surface rooting. Yeah. Mm. You're not right. going to get down mm. to the no. deep roots. Mm. You know, right. if your soil's reasonably uh, open and water soaks through it, uh, then you can't overwater in a sense. So, you know, just do it well and deep once so a week. Twice a week. Well, though. once or twice a week, but certainly for more than seven minutes. You'd need, you'd need to. 15 minutes. Yeah, you'd need to at least uh, double some. to, and then add some. Right, right. And, well, and look, and then keep a watching brief on it. I mean, if, you, if you're finding that water's suddenly running down the driveway or, uh, or the paths yeah. or whatever, then obviously you need to adjust. But well, if it's the wa- not that, but it's terribly expensive. Yeah, but, mm. you know, if you have it once a week for 20 minutes, mm. it's not going to be that much different to three times a week for seven, is it? No, it's and just, you think that's why they're not flowering, nothing flowering. Well, that could be part of the scenario, mm. but I also think that, you know, 
probably uh, your mulching is another issue because you don't mulch. I think you should be. Um, I mean, this summer, it wasn't a hot summer. No, no, it wasn't a particularly hot summer, but it was a dry one. Yes, yes, not not particularly dry, but it it was um, very mild. And I would have thought I'd have got one rose on all the rose bushes. Yeah, no, you should have done far better with your roses, certainly, but uh, I just think the watering regime's wrong. Do you think that was over-fertilising? What would you... Yeah, I'd I'd ease back on the fertiliser too. Mm. Your liquid seaweed doesn't push plants. It'll give you a lot more... um, uh, well, resilience and resilience, yeah, mm. strength. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay, I... and and we haven't had real soaking rains though. We've had rain, but we haven't mm. had soaking rains. No, mm. no. Okay, I just thought that might have been some solution. It's so yeah. disappointing. Yeah, no, there, there's I, I no do... magic bullet for it, Margaret. No. I okay. do on the side of a bit more potash and a bit less fertilizer. Mm. Okay, good. Yeah. And the potash once or twice a year. Oh, I'd probably do it oh, twice, twice a year. Yeah. Uh, and remember, too, that potash is one of those elements that when you imp- apply it to the ground, it does take quite some time to start mm. going through the plant system and actually having an impact. It's not ah. something you whack on the ground and three weeks later all your roses are going to be in flower. Right, you know, it, right. it takes some months to start having an impact. So potash so, you're putting down now isn't really going to have an impact until next spring. Yes, mm. yes. Oh, well, it's too late for them to flower anyway. Mm. That, uh, thank you. It was such a problem. I was so disappointed, you know, that I was looking and it's all green and healthy and growing mm. and not a flower on anything. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank okay, you. Okay, then. Thank Bye. you very much. Uh, next up we have uh, Jan, who's in Aspendale Gardens. Good morning, Jan. Yes, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I've been on an endless, seemingly endless search for a plant called Carpenteria Californica. Ah, okay. And I am wondering if anyone there may know who may have one at the moment. I'm on a, a trip up to Blackwood and Mount Macedon today. Yeah. Well, I haven't got any at my nursery okay. at the moment. Um, the trouble with Carpenteria is that yes. although it's a hardy shrub, it's actually surprisingly difficult to propagate. Okay. And so you don't sit around the traps terribly much. Yes. Uh, and I was for a while buying it from a wholesaler who doesn't seem to have had it on their list for quite a while. Okay. And unfortunately, my propagating system wasn't up and running and ready to do them this year. So I didn't have the propagator going early enough to get the Carpenteria cuttings in because right. I always do them as very, very softwood cuttings in the early spring okay. uh, and I tend to find I do better that way. Um, and so I don't know anybody that's got any of it at the moment. All right. Uh, so yeah. it may well be one of those plants that you have to keep wanting to have in your garden for a while longer. <laughs> okay. But it is something I'll be having another crack at next year. But even oh. even if I get the cuttings struck, I mean, it'll take 18 months from that point to right. get something up to a saleable size. But too. you've okay. got it in the garden. Oh, I've got a plant yeah. in the garden and I've got access to a couple of other plants for propagating purposes so i can get cuttings but um but it is one of those plants that is surprisingly difficult to propagate um uh, and a lot of modern technology actually seems to be a guinnet and i'm wondering whether hot beds and and foggers and misters and things are actually a bad thing if you're trying to propagate carpenterias because a lot of the modern propagators don't seem to be able to grow it at all and yet it was grown quite a lot back in the well, early last century, yeah. there was quite a lot of people growing Carpenteria and they didn't have yeah. that sort of modern facility. So I wonder whether we need to go back to old practices to grow it well. Okay. On the other hand, I have had success in finding a Laculia gratissima, yeah, which good. I got last year from, um, is it Peter Teese in Edmondbox? Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's still in a pot, but it's got buds all over it. So yeah, well done. Now, if you are looking for the Carpenteria, the only place I can think of that might be worthwhile a phone call yes. could be to uh, Lyle Philippe down at Rorama Nursery at Lara. 
Oh, okay. Well, Virginia also thinks that Craig Wilson at Gentiana Nursery might have them. Yeah, well, that's another possibility. You could talk to Craig uh, at Gentiana. Okay. Uh, um, But certainly it fits Lyle's sort of brief of plants quite well, Uh, so it could be worthwhile talking to him. Excellent. Uh, So there's a couple of other places to have a crack at. And, look, at some stage or another, Dixonia Rare Plants will have it again, but at the moment I haven't got it. All right, fine. Thanks, very much for your help. Okay. Roy Rama Nursery, it's a ripper. I, I, yeah, it's a great really place to go for a trip Rama. anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes. Lyle, apart from anything else, is great fun. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the, the sort of... that It's like an old Victorian nursery, and I mean Victorian as in the era, not as in the state, yeah. um, with, you know, huge boabs and palms and succulents and all sorts of fabulous, weird plants. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not the sort of tidy garden no, centre-ish no. sort of place that we've sort of got used to seeing around in the in, in the industry of, of recent years. So, yeah. um, And it's his, his sort of nursery, and maybe mine in a different way, um, that are keeping the old-fashioned sort of nursery thing going. And if people don't support the likes of Lyle and myself and keep those sort of nurseries ticking over, you're going to end up with garden centres selling you standard iceberg roses and James Sterling Potosporums. Yep. So, you know, people, you know, there's a plea out there for me, in fact. Come and visit us. <laughs> yeah. You know, buy plants from the nurseries that are growing interesting stuff because if you don't, mm. they won't be there when you need them. No. And, I mean, Jan just talking about Carpenteria. I mean, you're not going to buy one of those at, you know, uh, at your average garden centre no, or Bunnings. No, exactly. uh, so if you don't get out and support the nurseries, and, I mean, she may not be able to buy a Carpenteria from me today, but I'm sure I could sell her something that she didn't even know she wanted until she got there. No. <laughs> you know, so, oh, you know, so that's, you know, you, you should. You should get out and visit those sorts of nurseries, and there are very few of them left. Mm. Because it's about diversity. It is. And, you know, we're losing totally. diversity all yeah. the time. Yeah, 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 and it's sad. And so, the so, same thing is actually happening in the rose world as well. We're yeah. losing so many of the old-fashioned plants. Yeah. Mm. And, and But last year we had 62 new releases come <laughs> out of the market. Oh, yes. And um, we... we um, we're, we're marvellous, us rose people. We remember all these new releases. Yeah. <laughs> but that, thank goodness there's some fantastic new releases. Now, as long as the, good, the new stuff is good, I have no objection to breeding new cultivars, but it is sad to see some of the older stuff disappearing out of cultivation. Mm. Um, and... I mean, you know, nurseries can't be the repository of every known plant. So uh, there, in fact, is another plea. I mean, um, I'm president of the Garden Plants Conservation Association of Australia at the moment, Mm. uh, which is now calling itself Plant Trust, thank God. Um, And um, uh, that's another thing. We need to encourage that sort of thing Mm. to be going on where, where there are collectors out there holding on to important genetic material. Mm. I mean, you're talking about going up to Bendigo. Uh, Bendigo has just recently at their botanic gardens registered their Lavendula collection that mm. used to be Rosemary Holmes's. Yes. Uh, they've taken over that collection. It's now registered with GPCAA. Yep. Uh, and they've, they've just... They've got the Canna collection. Well, they've just and... sent in their paperwork for the Canna oh, collection. Uh, I've been sort of hounding at mm. them for a while now. <laughs> um, and so the paperwork arrived the other day and I've been going through that and having a wee look at their Canna collection. And it's interesting because they've if they've got the names right, they've actually got quite a few of the old coal canners. Uh, there was a breeder here way back uh, early last century called Mr. Cole, um, who was a prolific breeder, mm. and a lot of his canners have virtually disappeared. Is that right? And Bendigo still seems to have quite a lot of his cultivars on their list. So if they've got the names right, they've got some really important genetic material there mm. that nobody else has got. Yeah. Yep. You know, and so that's the sort of important stuff. In fact, I was chatting to them about their Australian canner collection, which is basically mainly coal hybrids, and I said to them, well, look, I know of two other breeders in, in Australia who've done some really important stuff with canners, and you don't seem to have any of their hybrids in your collection. 
uh, if you're going to do this, you know, let's do some concentration on heritage and, and Australian hybrid canners, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's Frank Hogan in Queensland who's breeding some fantastic stuff. Uh, Mrs. Reese who bred some amazing canners. Um, uh, I've got a couple of her canners at work that are just, you know, top of the range stuff. Mm. I mean, incredibly beautiful flowers, really good colours, good vigour. Um, and uh, so, we, yeah, we'll probably do a bit of swapping. I might get some of the coal hybrids from Bendigo and they can get some Hogan and Reese hybrids from me uh, and and put a really important Australian canner collection together. And so, and so next really weekend exciting. up at Tesla's, um, Stephen, there'll be a, a, quite a few growers up there that we, they can talk, people can talk to about rare plants. Yeah, 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 and and you know these sort of market things or or rare plant fairs are also in their own way really important because mm. it does give the opportunity for people mm. to meet growers, find out about some of these small nurseries that they may not otherwise know about, mm-hmm. um, and that does raise the issue that of course uh, I think we've already mentioned it, but in October there's going to be a, a big um, horticultural and garden fair down at the showgrounds, uh, which is is trying to angle itself towards um, the smaller growers and the more boutique nurseries. Uh, apart from anything else, by putting a cost structure in place that smaller nurseries mm, can afford to get involved in. Because um, uh, really at Mifcus now, it's got to the point where it's getting rather too expensive for most of our smaller growers to do anything there. Mm. Uh, I mean, when you start to look at two and $3,000 for a site and more... Um, it's plus a lot of money. Add-ons, plus yeah, plus the add-ons. The add-ons. Yeah. So you've got to take all your other costs into it as well. So before you even start making a profit, mm. uh, you've got to sell an awful mm. lot of plants. Yeah. So this one in October is going to be a little cheaper, and I'm hoping a lot of smaller boutique growers will go to that as well. And hopefully we'll see a bit of a resurgence in interest in, in, mm. in interesting and different plants for our garden. So the, the, the interest is still there, and they had record crowds this year at Mifcus. Mm. So there's there's interest by people, but it's it's also getting the word out there. Yeah. And as, as Anthony Tesla would say, after selling 80 million flower carpet roses, he will say, you've got to get out and promote. Yeah. Mm. And he certainly did it very well. Mm. Although one has to say the flower carpet rose is anything but rare now. Yes. <laughs> well, there's seven in the series. There's yeah. seven in the series. Yeah. So, um, and look, that's part of the industry that's really important because it keeps money ticking over. It keeps mm. the industry sort of going. It encourages people to garden but then you still need to get out and visit these boutique nurseries and find that you know really unusual things in your garden because as I say to people you can't have necessarily the Lamborghini in the garage or the Picasso on the wall but you can have something growing in your garden that not all your neighbours have got yes you know, that's the one place you can show some serious individuality is in your own garden. You don't have to follow all the trends and all of the, the you know, the current th- things that people say you should do. Um, and, you know, our gardens can become a really important repository of biodiversity. And when you start talking about canners, and I'm an old, like a rose grower, but the canners are fantastic. They really are. You've got height in your garden. Yeah. You've got that really drought toughness. Yeah. And, and the thing about canners is you've got great foliages as well. Mm, and it mm. makes me want to put on that leopard skin lap lap and go, Rushing around the garden. Well, there you go. <laughs> and there's some. There's a visual <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Come up to Mount Macedon for yeah. lap laps. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, okay, we've just got time. We do need to remind listeners about a few things. Firstly. Oh, yes. Um, Tesla's next, next weekend. weekend. Now, do you know times? Uh, it'll be from, I think it's from 10 till 4.30 or 10 yeah. till 5 or something like both that. Both days. Yeah, yeah, and both days. Uh, and, and there'll be talks as well as the There'll be the talks throughout the two days from different specialist growers in the main marquee. And, of course, you can chat to all the growers. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Now, Lucille, the plant yes. sale next yes, weekend. it certainly is. Uh, Saturday from 10 till 4, Sunday from 10 till 3 next weekend inside Egate at the Royal Botanic Gardens here in Melbourne. 
and the Melways reference is 2LC2. The catalogue uh, is online now. And yes, we've can, just looked. Yep. Yeah, and yes. can be looked at uh, through the Friends website, which is www.rbgfriendsmelbourne.org. So I uh, look forward to seeing as many 3CR listeners as possible. And, and they've uh, got time to do Tesla's and the growing yeah, friends on two days. Do one day and one the other. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it used to be cash-only sale, didn't it, at the plant? Oh, we haven't That's had changed. that for a long time. Right. No, credit card facilities are available. Yep. And plenty of people from the growing friends on hand to oh, give advice. absolutely, absolutely. And we also very generously get uh, help from the gardens staff as well they do help us take the plants down there next week next friday as we set up but they also a couple of them volunteer to help us out over the weekend and give advice to people as well wonderful okay and uh graham today if people want to join in they want can head up to clombinane to silky's Yes, we're doing tours this morning starting at 10 30 and and this afternoon starting at 2 30 Fantastic. And don't miss Diana's scones. And don't forget, the Cran- <laughs> don't forget the Cranbourne Gardens. It's always there. It's always, <laughs> it's always there. <laughs> and it's free to get in. And it's free to get in. There Absolutely. you are. Freebie. Okay. A big thank you to all the team. We'll, of course, be back uh, next week at 7.30. Um, also, if you want to come up to... Uh, to the garden today. Virginia and I will be up at 11 Forge Road in Mount Evelyn. Um, we'd love to see you up there as well, but uh, we need to go. It's time. Till next week. Bye for now.